Well, good morning, church. I hope you're all doing well today. It's a blessing to be here. And uh, Steve said very kind words, and I just want to make sure I tell you that uh, I'm nobody great, but God sure is. And when he lives in us, he does great things. Amen? Amen. So today we want to, you're doing a series uh, on the Gospel of John, which I think is so great. I mean... Man, the I am statements of Jesus alone in the Gospel of John are so amazing. And you know when Jesus says, I am, in Greek, it it literally says, I, I am. And and every Jew that heard him would would know that he is referring back to Exodus 3.14 when Moses says, who shall I say sent me? And God says, I am. And so Jesus is making these amazing claims for himself all the way through John as, as being divine, as being deity. Um, I want to just share a little bit more about us. Steve, Steve shared, uh, my wife MJ, Mary Jane and I were, as he said, in pastoral ministry for a long time. And in 2006, I told my elders, uh, I said, please guys, I, I just need some time to sort through my life right now, I, I feel like I'm a missionary trapped in a pastor's body, and I, I don't know what to do. I'm really conflicted. I love it here. I love the people. I love being a shepherd. I love teaching the Word, but, but I also just really love being with people that don't know Jesus yet, especially people from, from different cultures, other cultures. And so uh, they gave me some time away, and before I took that time, I got this flyer that you see on the left side of the screen, I got this flyer in the mail at my office about a seminar on reaching out to Muslims. It was, uh, we live in Ann Arbor, Michigan. It was about an hour away in Dearborn, Michigan. And I went to that seminar. My wife, MJ, went to part of it. And all I can tell you is in one weekend, God deposited in my heart a supernatural love for Muslims that I can't explain, but it's never left. I went home and I told MJ, this is it. I found it. I found the tip of the arrowhead. I found where, where we are going, and it's Muslims. We, we need to, to resign from uh, pastoring and, and do this full time. Now, ladies, can you imagine your husband coming home and saying, you know, we're just, I'm going to quit my job, and we're going to go reach out to Muslims. You'd be excited, wouldn't you? I mean, right? I'm not hearing much enthusiasm. Anyway, she said, oh, no another midlife crisis. (laughs) So, but my wife, man, I wish she was here. She has stuck with me through everything in this journey because within a year we did resign. We did begin to reach out to Muslims. We've we've, uh, traveled, you know, many times to to Qatar, Qatar, and we've been to the Emirates, United Arab Emirates, uh, Turkey, Egypt, uh, Israel slash Palestine, Lebanon, Jordan, uh, Pakistan, Iraq. I mean, God has just taken us places and he's done so many, so many things since, since that time. And, and really, what's beautiful is people, I can't receive any credit for loving Muslims because God put that in me. But my wife loves Muslims because Jesus says, love your neighbor. And so she loves them out of sheer obedience to Jesus. So we do three things quickly. We, we evangelize. We want Muslims to know Jesus. 
They need to know the Jesus of the Bible. Muslims will always tell you we love Jesus. He's one of our prophets. We have to love Jesus. But they don't know the Jesus of the New Testament yet. And so we want to make that clear to them. We do this, as I said, through uh, here in the States, reaching out to Muslims, but also in a place that I just dearly love, the Middle East. And, and here's a, a little story about a man that, that my son and I met in the Middle East in 2014. His name was Hassan. Hassan had uh, hands that went like this. He could not open his hands. His, his hands were closed, and it wasn't because of crippling arthritis. It was because he had been tortured in Syria uh, because he dared to raise a free Syrian flag on top of a building and uh, against the government, and people took pictures and put it on social media, and the government immediately put him in prison and tortured him uh, for, for months and months and months and months. And finally, he was able to get out and get to another country, and I met him. And when I met him, he was so depressed. He just was so depressed. And my, my uh, Christian Arab friend in that country said, Mark, share the gospel with him. So I did, but Hassan just, he wasn't ready for it. He wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't quite time. The next year, I saw Hassan again. I was in a totally different part of that city of over three million people. And just by quote-unquote coincidence, here comes Hassan walking down the sidewalk. My friend Rami said, Mark, look, there's Hassan. Do you remember him? I said, of course. I remember him. He said, since last year, he's been born again. I said, wow, what happened? He said, Hassan told me that one day, as you see on the screen, one day he was sitting in his apartment. He was smoking. He was thinking. He was depressed. And he said a bright light came in the room. And he said, I could see a man, but not his face. But he spoke to me, and he said, Hassan, I am the Savior of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I want to introduce myself to you. Hassan saw Jesus. Hassan heard Jesus quote himself. <laughs> but Hassan didn't know John fourteen six. He didn't know I'm the way, the truth, and the life, but Jesus does, and he is. And so the next day, Hassan went to the headquarters of the ministry that, that we work with, and, uh, and he became a follower of Jesus. And so I just saw him, my wife and I just saw him two weeks ago, and he's still growing in his faith. And now his wife, who resisted for, for these years, has just become a believer just a few weeks ago, and just last week, his sister became a believer. God is moving in the Middle East. I, I want to give you good news about the Middle East because people just, people just think of it as a, as a place of terrorism. No, God is on the move in the Middle East. Secondly, besides evangelizing, we go to churches. We do a seminar called Bridging the Gap because we think there's a huge gap between uh, Muslims and Christians, and we want to see that bridged. We want to see Christians in, engage in loving uh, ways, relational ways with Muslims. So we do this seminar to, to educate and equip and energize Christians to reach out to Muslims. Uh, we want to help Christians to think about Muslims like God does and love them like Jesus does. And then the third thing, these all start with an E, you can tell, alliteration, uh, from my years of being a pastor. And then the third thing we do is we enlist missionaries, basically global workers um, sometimes I'll, I'll visit a church and there's somebody that comes up to me afterwards and says, man, I just, I don't know, I just feel this thing in me that I think maybe God is calling me to serve him overseas, but I don't even know where to get started. I don't even, I don't even know for sure if it's God, you know? And so we help them walk through that process and it's an amazing and, and wonderful thing. 
So today, you're going through the Gospel of John. Wow. You've come to the point of this uh, person that some people have called the bad Samaritan. Everybody's heard the story of the good Samaritan, right? Well, this is the story of a woman who had a bad past. And she's going to meet with Jesus, and he is going to do amazing things in her life. I want to give you some uh, introductory things before we actually go to the text itself, because I think it, it will put the, the whole text in, in better perspective for you. So the Bible says that Jesus, we'll read it in a minute, had to go through Samaria. Now, what, what was John talking about there? Well, if you look at this map, you see that, that the, this land of Israel was divided up into three parts in Jesus' day. Judea in the south, where Jerusalem was. And then there was Galilee in the north, which is lush and fertile and beautiful with the Sea of Galilee. And that's where Jesus, of course, grew up in Nazareth. But in between there is this, this place called Samaria. This place that Jews... If they traveled north uh, to get to Galilee, they would, they would not go through it. Here's what they would do. If they're traveling from the south, from Jerusalem to get to the north, they are going to go west and cross the, uh, excuse me, uh, east. They're going to cross the Jordan River. They're going to follow the river north until they get past Samaria, and then they're going to cross back over the Jordan River into Galilee. But Jesus would not do that. The Bible said he had to go through Samaria. And I don't want to uh, say much more about that just yet, but Jesus was different. I think it's really important to understand the history between Jews and Samaritans. Um, it was rough. There was incredible religious and racial prejudice between them, a very old hatred uh, between them. Here's how the Samaritans came about. Uh, basically, uh, the northern kingdom called Israel, uh, after the time of Solomon, was conquered by the Assyrians around 700 BC. They took the people into captivity. They took them away. But they left a remnant of Jewish people there, and then they brought in other people to resettle there, other people they had conquered. Well, those people intermarried the Jewish uh, remnant that they left and the people that the Assyrians brought in, they intermarried and they had offspring, they had children, and those children became what are now known as Samaritans. That's where they came from. Now, when, when the southern kingdom of Judah was also conquered, they were conquered by Babylon, years later they came back and we read about that in Ezra and Nehemiah and so forth. They came back to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the walls. The Samaritans offered to help them rebuild, and the Jews said, no. You're half-breeds. You're heretics. We don't want to have anything to do with you. The Samaritans were very hurt by this, very angered by this, and actually they tried to thwart the rebuilding. And so there was all this, all this bad blood between them. The Samaritans had actually developed their own religion. It was a, it was a mixture of, of Judaism, uh, the faith of, of the Jewish people, and an idolatry. They had, their own, they had their own Bible, so to speak, their old Old Testament, but it was only the first five books. That's all that they believed in. They didn't worship in, worship in Jerusalem on the mountain there where the temple was. They, they made their own temple on Mount Gerizim. And they said, that's the place where God should be worshiped. 
The Jews said that Samaritans made places unclean anywhere where they would lie down, sit, ride, or spit. Some of the Pharisees prayed that no Samaritans would be raised in the resurrection. Such a, such a hatred, such an animosity. And in Jesus' day, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after the initial, uh, this initial feud and hatred began, when Jesus' enemies, his Jewish enemies, wanted to insult him, they called him a Samaritan. So this is part of the world that this story takes place in. The second thing I want you to see is not just this, this racial divide, this racial prejudice and animosity, but also this a male-female animosity that the men in the Jewish culture looked so down on women. And so a strict a rabbi would forbid other rabbis to greet a woman in public. A rabbi couldn't even talk to his own wife or daughter in public. Now remember, Jesus is a rabbi. He didn't go to the schools, but he is a teacher and he's called rabbi. For a rabbi to be seen speaking to a woman in public was the end of his reputation. Jewish people, Jewish men, excuse me, would pray, God, you're blessed. Thank you, God. You did not make me a woman. This was part of the, the culture of, that Jesus entered into. Samaritan women especially, they're, they're lower to the Jewish men than even the Jewish women, and they were seen as unclean. From, from the very time they were born. And Jesus speaks to this woman that we're going to see. He comes right into this culture of racism and this horrible male chauvinism, and he just blows it all up. He, he breaks through every wall. He breaks through every barrier because Jesus is going after this person. He wants her in his kingdom. And he wants her to live forever with his father. No decent man would do what Jesus did. They'd never be seen in company exchanging a word. But Jesus is different. Jesus is so different. And so let's read John 4, 1 to 42. If you have the Bible there and the, uh, the rack in front of you, it's page 884, 884. It's a New Living Translation. I think it's a wonderful readable uh, translation. It's a long text, so hang with me. Don't go to sleep right now. Um, Here we go. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Although Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Jerusalem and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well around noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So we've talked about that. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew 
the gift that God has for you and who you're speaking to, you'd ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes from the Jews, through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, it's another I am statement like we refer to. I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Then the closing few verses. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days. Imagine that. <laughs> A Jewish man staying in a Samaritan village 
It's just unheard of. He stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but but because we have heard him ourselves. And now we know that. And I'd like for you to repeat this last phrase with me because it's the title of the message today. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Amen. All right. Well, let's run through some of this. What I want to do is take little snippets out of this conversation between, mostly, between Jesus and this woman. Not all of them. We, there just isn't time. And man, so much could be spoken on every phrase almost in this text. But I want to look at a few of these snippets. And then what I want to do is leave you really with questions. I, I want to ask you questions to think about as it relates to this conversation, questions of application for you. So the first one is this from verse 9, where the woman is shocked. You are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan, and I put in parentheses, and a, and a woman. Why, why are you talking to me? This, this woman just can't believe it. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. She's probably at coming out to the well at a different time than other, other women would come, which would more likely be in the morning. She's coming out during the day. Why? She's an outcast. The other women of the village have probably rejected her. They don't want to be with her. She's coming out there, and Jesus just happens to be walking at this particular point when this woman is coming to this well. It's just amazing how God does those things, how he makes divine appointments for us. I mentioned that this woman was shocked, and, and what I believe is that we need a new shock and awe in the church, capital C. We had shock and awe, right, in, in Iraq. We had this thing with, with bombs and, and bullets, but I want to I encourage us all to think about a whole different kind of shock and awe. Our ministry is, is primarily uh, to Muslims, and I have a website, there's cards out on the table. You're welcome to take one. It's called ilovemuslims.net. And I give this card to Muslims everywhere I go. Everywhere I see a Muslim, I give them this card. And uh, whether it's in a store, a gas station, uh, the airport, a restaurant, a mosque, they always have the same reaction. They're shocked. They read those words, I love Muslims. And if they're Arab, they can see on the bottom it's in Arabic. And they read this and they go, you do? Really? Why? One guy in a mosque in St. Louis, he just looked down. He just said, it's a good thing somebody does. This is the way Muslims feel. Muslims are the new Samaritans. Muslims are, are people that are marginalized. They're rejected. And sadly, 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 they're rejected by so many Christians. They're stereotyped. They're seen in a certain way. They're lumped all together. We have had people say to us, Christians in churches say to us, I still remember a guy. I still remember where I was. He said to me, I wish we'd just nuke the whole Middle East and be done with it. I wanted to say, please don't do it while I'm there. I mean, it would be a fast way to go, but do you know that there are a lot of Arab Christians there? Do you know there are a lot of, of workers for Jesus there? I mean, and do you really want to see all these people extinguished without hearing the gospel? And so Muslims know this. They know that a lot of, of so-called Christians feel that way about them. 
And they know, they, they've seen the whole thing about refugees. Steve referred to refugees. They know from the last election that they are a political football. And they know that people don't look at them as people. They look at them as objects. They look at them as, they lump them all together as terrorists. They're, they've come here to take away our rights. They've come here to put in their Sharia law. They've come here to take away our constitution. And so people view them that way. So if we can flip that, if we can flip that script and we meet a Muslim and they feel love from us, they will generally be shocked. But we don't want to just shock Muslims with our love. We want them to be in awe, shock and awe. We want them not to be in awe of us. We want them to be in awe of Jesus. We can't save anybody. We can't save anybody. But if, if we can ask God to flow through us, if we can have such a relationship with Jesus that they see it and they're in awe of him and not of us, that's, that's our goal. It's a, it's a new kind of shock and awe. And this woman was shocked by Jesus. And more and more, as we, as we see in this text, she becomes in awe of him. Jesus says to her, if you only knew, if you only knew who's talking to you, God in the flesh. Yeah, I know I don't look like that because I'm tired and I'm thirsty. But I really am the Messiah and I have the power to give you living water, something inside you because you're drinking dirty water right now, figuratively. Now, you've had these five husbands because you're, you're looking for love, but you've never found it. It's, it's a bad well. And I want to give you something new and different. And here's my question for you all today as it relates to this, this little snippet, this little phrase. Do you ever ask yourself about somebody you know that is not yet a believer and, or follower of Jesus? Do you ever say to yourself, oh, if only they knew? Does it pierce your soul that people you love are going to hell? Does it ever do something in you and you just say, oh God, if only they knew? Do you ever think about a people group and you, and you ask yourself or you hear, they don't, have, they don't have a missionary. There's never been a gospel presentation ever to some people groups. Does that bother you at all? Is there anything in you that says, God is, am I supposed to be in some way, little way, part of that? And it doesn't have to be around the world. It doesn't have to be very far away. But, but what I'm saying is, can we just say, God, would you give me a heart that says, if only they knew, and then show me how to be part of the answer, part of the solution. Jesus said to her, if you did know who I am, I'd give you living water. So here's the question there. How would you describe your faith? If you call yourself a Christian or a, a follower of Jesus, would you describe your faith as living? You know, we, we sang that song, uh, Oh Happy Day, a reference, to, a reference to the writer of the song when he became a follower of Jesus, and he still remembers it, and he's just like, he's celebrating it still. 
I mean, I remember the day I was born again. May 28th, 1966, um, a survivor of the Bataan Death March in the Philippines came to this little church where my mom, where he just started going to church at this church. And my mom took me there, and I didn't have a dad, so my heroes were football players and soldiers. And in comes this guy. God had me set up. And in comes this guy that was a soldier telling war stories. And, and one night, my mom said to him, he was there for several nights, my mom said, I, I don't think Mark has put his faith in Jesus yet. I don't think he's really understands that yet. And uh, I'm worried about it. Would you talk to him? And the guy said, I'll talk to him tomorrow night. And I still remember that next day I was at school and I kept hearing a voice, don't go to church, don't go to church. I mean, I heard a real, not audible, but it was as real as it could have been, audible. But I went that night and all that man did was open a Bible after the service and read John 3.16. Man, I realized as a kid, I'm a sinner I deserve hell. God loves me. Doesn't want me to go to hell. Sent Jesus to die for me. I need to believe in Jesus. I mean, it was that fast. And I prayed. And it was a happy day. So here's my question for you about living water. And by the way, I became a 10-year-old evangelist. <laughs> I was telling all my little friends about Jesus. Inviting them to VBS and Everything. My faith was alive even as a boy. Is your faith still living? Is it alive like it was when you first came to Jesus? Is it still, is there something exciting and vibrant about your life with Jesus? Because if it isn't, if you say to yourself right now, I don't think I can answer that, I would say my faith is living, it's like bubbling, it's like a stream, then why don't we just say together right now, Jesus, make me alive again. Make me alive again in you. I want to go back. I want to go back to my first love. Living water. This woman, I I don't know, you know, we we can't see her face. We don't know all her motives. But it seems to me like at this point, she wants to have a little argument. It's this Jewish, you know, Samaritan thing. Ah, you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, do you? She doesn't know who she's talking to. Have you, ever had, have you ever had an argument with somebody about the faith? I mean, I, I just, personally, I'm not a big believer in, in arguing people into the kingdom of God. Why? Because I just, I don't see it happens. Here's, here's what I do see happen. Some of you went to the movie Unplanned, Right? This amazing movie about this woman who, who worked in an abortion clinic as a director and oversaw over 20,000 abortions. And I just heard her this week on Focus on the Family being interviewed, as, actually as I drove here on Friday. And they said, what won you? And she said it was the compassion of believers who stood outside, not with their hateful signs or hateful sayings, but had loving faces and and prayed for me. The Bible says in Romans, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Not people arguing us in. 
And so I just want to say, don't, don't get into arguments about, with anybody, I don't argue with Muslims about whose God is greater. It's silly, it's pointless, it leads nowhere. But when my Muslim friend sees that I love him and I don't want him to be in hell, it makes a big difference. Don't get into arguments, don't say who's greater, don't let your ego get in the way. I love this statement. I don't have a husband. (laughs) Now, she is being born again right in front of our eyes. You know why? Because she's admitting she's a sinner. Jesus said, you're speaking the truth. And what does it say you're going to see later in John? You will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. A person cannot become a follower of Jesus unless they admit they're a sinner. There's no conversion without conviction. But you know what? The same thing is true for any of us that are believers, no matter how long we've been believers, whether it's five years or 50 years. There's no freedom in your relationship with Jesus unless you're willing to come face to face with some of the truth of some of the sins in your life. AA does it. They do it. People come to admit where they're at. Even if they have the wrong higher power, at least the principle is there. And so let's be so transparent with God who knows all our sins to say, God, set me free. Show me where I sin. Show me where I'm justifying sin. Show me where I'm rationalizing sin. Jesus said to her, someday... Someday it's not going to matter. You guys worship here at Mount Gerizim. We, we uh, Jews worship in Jerusalem. Salvation comes through the Jews. But someday it, it's not going to matter. Where? It's not going to be about location. It's going to be about heart. And so here's Mrs. Z that I met a year ago. She uh, is a Syrian refugee, but she's now a follower of Jesus. See, this woman, when, she, when her husband was killed in Syria, she decided she had to get out to an adjoining country to find safety. So she took her six or seven children. Eventually, they ran out of money. They're literally in the desert eating grass. It just hurts me when refugees in our country are seen as political footballs in elections. These are real suffering people, and most of them are just trying to find a safe place to raise their children like like this widow. And Mrs. Z got to an adjoining country, and she had a vision of Jesus too. And she's now a follower of Jesus. He's in her heart. And when I show this picture to people, they say, well, why didn't she take that thing off her head then? You know? Why does she take, why does she wear that? Because where she lives, she's in danger of death if she reveals that she's now a Christian. And her children, all her children will be taken away from her. She's trying to get to a country like this who doesn't want her so that she can be free to tell her children, I'm a follower of Jesus and I want to introduce you to him or him to you. Wow. Someday it won't matter. Jesus said, that we have to worship in spirit and truth. God's looking for those who will worship that way. I love football. 
Man, I, I love football. I watch the NFL Network almost every night. You know, my wife, thank God she loves football. I'm blessed. And uh, I know there's some football fans here, maybe some Eagle fans or something. You won the Super Bowl, you're big. And so I see a lot of football fans worshiping football in spirit and in truth. <laughs> At least their spirit and truth. The truth, the truth is they love their team. That's the only team. Well, who else would you root for? And they root in spirit because, man, I mean, I see men, they get so excited, right? You see guys at the games, it can be freezing weather. They don't have a shirt on, but they got a letter on. Their buddy next to them has another letter, and you go down the line. People do crazy things with all their spirit, man, when it comes to a game. And, and what I want to say is, Man, when you've got this wonderful worship team, worship in spirit and truth. Don't, don't, let a, don't let your enthusiasm over a game be higher than your enthusiasm for God. You know, whether it's in here in worship or at home worshiping alone, but worship God in truth, right, correct, doctrine, biblical, but also in spirit with enthusiasm and joy and zeal. This woman leaves her... her her water, you know, this jug that she's brought to the well, she just leaves it. And she, man, she runs back to the town. She has changed in, in minutes. We don't know how long the conversation was. It could have been a lot longer than what we have in the text. But she has met someone that's changed her life, and she wants to immediately go tell people. You know, there's been a study done on evangelism and this study shows that the longer a person is a Christian, the less they tell people about Jesus. Oh, no. No, 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 no. No. It cannot be that way. It cannot. If we have living water, it should increase. As we get to know him more, as we appreciate him more, as we love him more, it should just come out of us, shouldn't it? Come and see. I remember at my old church, there was a guy, uh, Mike, he said to me, <laughs> he said to me, well, well, Mark, we're not all like you. I'm like, I'm not asking you to be like me. I don't want you to be like me. I'm an extrovert. I talk to people. And yes, I talk to people about Jesus. It's not hard for me. But you can talk to people about Jesus too, but just do it in your way. Be you in it. He said, well, I'm not a Billy Graham. I said, no, I don't want you to be Billy Graham. How many Billy Grahams are there? But we can all say, come and see. Come, I want you to see Jesus. Can I talk to you about the one who's changed my life? I met this family um, two years ago, excuse me, one year ago, and they, they were trying to get out of Syria as refugees. And, and they had 27 family members and they came to the border of Lebanon, and Lebanon would not let them in because there were too many. And so they just sat down. They just said, we're not leaving. Well, it so happened that the young man in the middle, on the top, the big smile, 10 years earlier, he had had a vision of Jesus as a Muslim. They call him Isa. And he had a vision of Isa. And he told his mother, who was pregnant, if, we, if you have a son, you must name him you must name him Isa. And she said, well, okay, I will. And so she had a son. They named him Isa. Back to the border, 10 years later, 
They said, we're not leaving. Finally, a border guard comes out. He said, okay, okay, let me see all your passports, all 27. When he came to the passport with the name Isa, he let them all in. Jesus. Jesus is the passport. He let them all in. They came to Lebanon. Somehow, it's too long of a story, they got involved in a church. They, they came to know Jesus. And then their relatives came and got there, and they said, come and see. We want you to come and see. There's more to this Jesus thing than you ever dreamed of. And then their relatives became believers. And now it's just spreading through their family. It's just, it's amazing. It's wonderful. It's beautiful to see. And these people have the simplest faith like a child. But they'll do anything for God. And so Jesus, the disciples come back, and he says, wake up, look around. The fields are white. There's a harvest. And maybe, just maybe, what he's referring to is the people are coming and they're wearing white robes and he said, look, the fields, there they are. All those people coming. Wake up, look around. I just want to encourage you, church. Look around you. Look around your community. But also look inside. Look at people around you because some people sitting here right now feel like Samaritans. Sometimes people feel rejected, even in the church, and that's, that's where you want to feel the most acceptance, but they don't feel they fit. And so, oh, look around and love on, on people here. Someone plants, someone harvests. Wow, we can all be part of that. I need to finish. Jesus had to go through Samaria, I mentioned earlier, and I said I'd come back to it. Why? Why? Because he was led by the Spirit of God. He was led by his Father, he had to go there. It starts in the heart. I mean, for all of us to reach out to a Samaritan, it starts in our heart. And here's the heart that God wants us to have. It's the heart of Paul who said, I have unceasing anguish and great sorrow in my heart for the Jewish people that they might know the Messiah. Have you ever had what, what Paul says is great sorrow and unceasing anguish about a person you love that doesn't know Jesus yet? Have you ever wept over them in prayer? This is the heart that, that God wants us to have, and this is what the, the heart of Richard Wormbrandt. Maybe some of you have heard of him. He started Voice of the Martyrs. He said, when I, when I was converted, I felt like sometimes I couldn't go on any longer. When I walked down a street, I had so much pain in my heart when I'd meet a man or a woman. It was like a knife in my heart. So deep was the pain of wondering if that person was going to heaven or not. Wow. Man, if you go to a restaurant today and someone serves you or the cashier takes your money, I hope you see them in a different way. I hope you see them as an eternal being that's going to be one of two places, heaven or hell. Jesus says in Luke 15 in the parables that they're either lost or they're found. Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. One last story, and it's my friend Mr. J from Iraq. I met him a few years ago. We would talk to him about Jesus, another friend and I, and... He'd always change the subject on me whenever I'd talk about Jesus. Finally, one time I just confronted him. Mr. J, why do you do this, man? Why do you, you know? He didn't have an answer, but you know what we did? We just served him. He had bad kidneys. 
He couldn't do things for himself, so we served him. We took him to the doctor. We took him to the pharmacist. We took him to the Iraqi embassy when he needed to go. We mowed his grass. We got leaves out of his gutters. We served him. Whether he ever became a Christian or not, that wasn't the point. The point was to be Jesus to him, to meet him where he was like the Samaritan woman. Eventually, he began to love John 3.16. And he said, Mark, can you believe it? God loves the whole world. Some of you are saying, duh, yeah. No, not for him. He said, I thought that the Bible, your Bible teaches that God only loves Christians and Jews. And this verse means that God loves me, a Muslim, a Samaritan, an Arab. Wow, he was moved by it. And I don't have time to do it, but every time he'd leave me a voice message, he would quote John 3.16. I still have it on my phone. And he went back to Iraq. He said he had to go back for something. And I begged him not to go because his kidneys were so bad. And I said, Jossam, I'm afraid you'll die. Please don't go. And darn it, he did. He died um, a month uh, after he went. But I talked to him twice in the hospital on the phone. You know what he said to me, his first words? If you know it, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is indeed the savior of the world. God bless you, church.